It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. Okay, and one of our attorneys, Daniela Capola. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniela Campoli. For those of you who don't know about the show, the first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. The idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes that we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about either politics, history, religion. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about politics and baseball with Anthony Scaramucci, former communication director for Donald Trump's administration. Then we're going to be talking to one of our friends at the John Wayne Cancer Institute, Bob Klein, who was also a tight end of the National Football League for uh, 11 years. So in the meanwhile, let's get back to uh, estate planning and elder law. Daniela, we're going to start with you. Now, tell the audience a little bit, where, where did you grow up? Where did you go to law school? I grew up in Queens, New York. I went to law school at Pace University School of Law up in White Plains. I graduated in 2016, and I got admitted to practice law in 2017. What type of files do you work on at Connors & Sullivan? I work on, I'm in the litigation department, so I work on estate litigation, will contests, issues with trusts, anything to do with litigation. Okay, now speaking about will contests, you have a question here. I do. So we have a question here from Samantha. She is from Diker Heights, Brooklyn. Her question is, so her father and mother met in the first grade. They were high school sweethearts, and they got married at the age of 21. They were happily married for over 40 years and had three children together, Samantha, her brother Sam, and her sister Sally. In January of 2016, her mother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and unfortunately, a year later, she passed away. So the whole family was devastated, especially her father. He had never been without her mother, so he did not know where to turn. About a year after her mother passed away, her father, then 70 years old, began seeking counseling for his grief over losing his mother, uh, excuse me, his wife. Shortly thereafter, he began seeing his counselor, Maria, a woman 30 years his junior, romantically. After he began seeing Maria, Samantha and her siblings noticed that her father had changed drastically. He would no longer come to visit them or call them. Since they were children, her father used to take them to breakfast every Sunday as a family, and even that completely stopped. He spent every second with Maria. Whenever her and her siblings would try and visit him at his home, Maria would answer the door and tell them that he was not at home or he was napping. To their surprise, they found out that Maria had moved in with him and was taking care of all of his affairs. Her father unfortunately passed away last month, and it came to their attention that he had a last will and testament leaving everything to Maria, his girlfriend of barely two years. He completely disinherited his children. Her question is, do they have any legal rights to contest the will? Yes, they might under these circumstances because it certainly looks like Maria isolated um, their father and tried to exercise undue influence over, at least that would appear so on the, on the face of it. There are a couple of things we want to look at. How does the deed to the house read? Did, did Maria get her name on the deed? Because, you know, it's going to be very difficult, you know, if her name's on the deed to try to overcome that. If the deed's in his name, it's going to go through probate. And if it goes through probate, the children will have the opportunity to contest the will. And unfortunately, the way the the world works today, it'll probably be settled. But at least they can get something and Maria won't get everything. And of course, there might be other circumstances involved. What witnesses does Maria have? What what happened in between? But a, a lot of the things now, I, it says it came to their attention. First, I would try to, assuming dad owned a house, I would look at the house deed and see how it's titled. Is it in his name alone? Is it joint with his first wife? is Maria's name on the deed. And, and I would take a look at that because you've got to move quickly in this case as if the deed's in, in her name alone. You know, you're on the outside looking in and you've got to try to get back to at least square one. 
who was dad's doctors? Who? What hospital did he go in? Was he was he hospitalized in his last illness in their medical records? I hate to say it, but you're probably going to be starting planning litigation by, again, what doctors was dad seeing? What do they say? What assets are in dad's name? What assets are joint with Maria? What's Maria's background? Does she have a criminal record? You know, a lot of things are in play here. But the main thing in this case, you got to start working on it right away because if a lot of the assets are joint with Maria, she just may take them and disappear. You know, and even if you can try to track her down, it might be difficult getting any of the assets back. So the earlier you start, the better. Hopefully, she didn't get herself on dad's deed, but I'm afraid she might. And that's the first thing I would check, whose name is on the deed. Because if there are assets in dad's name alone, we got a shot. It's going to go through probate. It's going to go to court, and we get our two cents in. If a lot of the assets are already in Maria's name, we got a problem, and we're on the outside looking in, which we got to get moving sooner rather than later because time goes quicker, medical records disappear, banking records disappear. Uh, like I said, the, the sooner the better because sometimes people come in, it's just too late. You can't put together what the story was. Now, Beth, do you have a, an email question? Yes, we have a few. Um, this is a question that's asked often because it is confusing. So... Vince is asking, Mr. Connors, can you explain, please, the difference between a state administration and a state probate? I also heard of voluntary administration. What do they mean? Okay, we'll start with the last one first. Voluntary administration usually, usually means that a person who passed away, they had less than 30000 assuming you're a New York resident, they had less than $30,000 in that person's name alone. So that way it's a simplified probate, so to speak. The assets are less than $30,000. You file a petition under Article 13, and ordinarily, depending on the circumstances, you can get letters to administer that 30000 fairly quickly. Now, part of the problem on that, you are restricted in how much you can collect because the court wants to make sure you're not collecting too much. Now, if you have more than $30,000 of assets in your name alone, assuming you have a will, it's going to go through probate. If you don't have a will, it's going to go through estate administration. Administration is when you have no will, and then the assets that are in your name alone pass to your next of kin by law. They have to prove it to the court, depending on the circumstance of his children. It's relatively easy. If it's first cousins or first cousins once removed, it's very, very difficult. But the next of kin have to prove who they are. Um, will, ordinarily, if it's not contested, a will's filed. If everybody consents, you know, then you get probate of the will. But even after you get probate of the will, and, of course, I was just assuming that there's no contest, not like the situation we just talked about. Assuming you get probated the will, you still have to administer the estate. You have to collect the assets. You have to gather the assets. You have to do an accounting. Let's say for the sake of argument, what is in the estate? A million dollars comes in, a million dollars goes out. You have to account for it. The heirs ordinarily would sign a release and receipt. If they don't sign a release and receipt again, we have to go to court again to do what's called an accounting, a formal accounting. And then basically if somebody objects to the accounting, it's going to be heard by a judge, and we go from there. If we have a trust and the assets are in the trust, we have two steps clear. We don't have to go through probate. The assets are easy to collect because they're already ordinarily they're already in the trust, and we just go to the accounting part, and hopefully they're not too many expenses if we're in a trust, so the accounting's not too difficult. So if you have a will, your assets go through probate. If you don't have a will, your assets go through administration. And this is where some people are, mis or are under false impression. They think, well, I don't have to go through probate because I have, I don't have a taxable estate. I have less than a million dollars, and that's not taxed, so I don't have to go through probate. No. If your assets are more than $30,000 in your name alone, those assets go through probate. What do I mean by your name alone? In other words, you don't have a beneficiary. It's not joint. It's not in trust for. Uh, somehow there's not a way that somebody else can get their name on the account. That's in your name alone. Yes, it can be. You can have an IRA with a beneficiary. You can have a bank account and trust for. You can have a bank account joint. You can have a brokerage account, TOD. And if you have named beneficiaries, though, those assets don't go through probate. And a lot of times when people come to our office, they think they're going to have to go through probate, and they don't because everything's taken care of. In any event, that's why everybody should have a will because it's almost impossible in some circumstances to take care of everything. Somebody may own a car. There may be a check in the mail. There may be a tax refund coming up. There may be furniture in an apartment. Everybody should have a will, but you want to plan things out so that you don't have to collect too many assets through the will. Now, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? 
These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500 or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. And Daniela. Hello, everyone. Okay, now, as we mentioned before, the first part of the show, we're talking about estate planning and elder law, and we talked a little bit about probate and contesting wills and whatever else. The second part of the show, we talk about politics, history, religion, and sometimes charitable giving. And we're going to be talking to Bob Klein from the John Wayne Cancer Institute. Bob Klein is, is the chief fundraiser for the John Wayne Cancer Institute, and he used to play NFL football for about 11 years. He was number one draft pick of the L.A. Rams, which, again, he talks about that. That's a tremendous thrill because he was from the L.A. area, and so to play at uh, University of Southern California then get drafted number one for a hometown team, that's a a dream comes true. Now, when he was with uh, USC, he also happened to play with a guy named O.J. Simpson. So, and, 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 of course, in his pro career, he played with a lot of great ball players. You know, the John Wayne Cancer Institute, I mean, they do great work. Beth, you were... Well, Mr. Klein was part of that wonderful experience that we had. We we talked about it. Um, and you, he's, he's one of the people. Now, he's not one of the doctors, obviously, but he cares about it just as much as everybody else does. When we were there, he was so excited because he had just gotten the news that um, a woman that he knew was going to be donating a lot of money for research and you could tell it wasn't oh great we got the money in but it was thank goodness this is wonderful so once again that was part of that wonderful experience that we spoke of before and yes he he is grateful to everything that's happened to him in his life and he's got a lovely family children grandchildren so he's a he's a fortunate fortunate fellow and he appreciates it Okay, and then after Bob Klein, famous tight end for the L.A. Rams and, and San Diego Chargers, we're talking to Anthony Scaramucci, former press director, director of communications for Donald Trump. Daniela, do, do you remember Anthony Scaramucci? I do not. <laughs> okay. Well, let me ask you another question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Are you a Met fan or a Yankee fan? I'm a Yankee fan. Okay. Oh, no. I know. Then you're 0 for 2. <laughs> 0 for this. 2. One. Give her an easy one. Well, I mean, I don't know. Give her one, one more. She strikes out. <laughs> well, ask ask her where her family's from, her heritage. <laughs> <laughs> and where is your family from? Okay. Uh, my parents were born in Italy. What part? Um, It's a small town near Rome. It's called Frosinone. And they were born there. They came here as teenagers. You speak Italian? very nice. Yes. Okay. All right. So which office do you usually work in? in, in I'm usually at the Brooklyn office. All right. Now, when we started to talk about Scaramucci, I said, you know, I've run into people who saw Babe Ruth play. And (laughs) he said, no, you couldn't have done that. They'd have to be 100 years old. Close. (laughs) Well, I brought up Ed Bars. Ed Bars was at the 1933 All-Star Game. And he saw... 
Babe Ruth hit a home run. <laughs> and for those of you, you know, if, if you want to check on that podcast or whatever with Ed Bars talking about the 1933 All-Star Game. The article. Ten, the article in the newspaper, whatever. But yes, we have seen people who saw Babe Ruth play. And I remember years ago, I mean, when it, let's say somebody may be deceased now, but they were 80 years old, you know, 15, 20 years ago, they remember seeing Babe Ruth play. So, you know, there are people out there alive who saw Babe Ruth play. Ed Bars was 10 years old in 1933, still kicking around today. And, you know, that's one of the things. If you if you get on our Facebook page, you can see pictures of Ed Bars. You know, we love and, Ed Bars. Now, I know, I know, because we did get this one time. Somebody called that you got in touch with and said, do you still have your show? And I said, well, yeah, sure we do. Well, I tuned in, but there was this, this old man talking. And I said, well, that was Ed Bars. There's some people out there that, that might think, what are they doing? We, when Mr. Bars gets on the show, we just let him talk. And that's and that's he because he's a living legend. We just let him go. So if you ever tune in to listen to us and you hear this old man talking about the Civil War, don't change the or channel about, or, or about Any baseball war. or baseball. That's right. That's right. Remember, Ed Bars was a Giants fan. He hated the Yankees. <laughs> oh, there we go. He's just he's going to beat you up on this. Right. Well, that's what he said, you know, so. Because Prince Hal Shoemaker got bombed by the Yankees 17-2 to in the 1936 World Series, and he's never forgotten that. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a short break. Bob Klein, then Anthony Scaramucci. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash Melia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Org. 
Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was out in California, happened to so- stop by the John Wayne Cancer Institute, and I, I met our next guest, Robert Klein, who who is a football player. How you doing today, Robert? Thank you, um, but please call me Bob. All right, Bob. Um, okay. My mom only calls me Robert when I'm in trouble. So, okay. um, Bob, Bob, yes, thank you. You were yeah, not in great, trouble. Uh, great. <laughs> it was great uh, being able to spend the weekend with you. You were number one draft pick. What year was that? And where did you play in college? And okay, well, so I'm a Southern California guy, and um, my mom and dad met out here during the Second World War, and then right afterwards in 1947, um, I had a little bit older sister, but I, I came along. And uh, so I, I grew up here right in Los Angeles in Pacific Palisades, which is one of our outstanding beach communities. And I spent my whole life here. Um, and I, I played uh, in those days, we, we played all the sports. And so I was fortunate enough to uh, have pretty good size. I was six foot five and about 245 by the time I graduated as a senior in, in, um, in high school. And that was a big tight end in those days. It's kind of the size that the guys are playing now. And uh, I fortunately had a good high school career. And um, my choice is I was raised a Catholic, went to Catholic schools my whole life. And uh, I had about everybody in my family and anybody that had any influence over me saying Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. And in those days, that was Arab Parsegian, and they were doing well. Uh, but I had a very wise principal. He was a brother of St. Patrick who took me aside one day when I was a senior, and the, and the pressure was coming on me from all sides, including my dad and my uncle, who grew up in they, – they all grew up in Chicago, went to Newt Rockney's summer camp. And the uh, the very wise principal said, you know, what do you want to do and where do you want to live when you're when you grow up? And I said, well, I love Southern California. I want to go into business. And he said, you know, go to SC. That's the right thing for you. So I did do that. Um, and uh, I went to SC and um, I was there at a very good time. Coach John McKay was the coach then. And I was fortunate enough to play on a national championship team and we had uh, lots of great players. Probably the most fa- infamous and famous was O.J. Simpson, who was my running back. And we had a bunch of us, a number of first-round draft picks. And lo and behold, I get drafted in the first round by the Los Angeles Rams. And, I mean, how great is that for a kid to play at home? I can't even imagine and, uh, that. You know, what's more remarkable about it is, is, um, is you know, um, the the, uh, the, the the chances of getting drafted in your own hometown are slim and none. And the and the head coach was George Allen. Now, if you remember what George Callen, George Allen liked, was he liked older guys, and um, so <laughs> I ended up on a team with a bunch of old guys, the Rams, first and Forsum, that that group of guys. And uh, George was a defensive coach. I was an offensive player, but um, anyway, he picked me and. Uh, you know, we had a, I had a great career with the Rams. I played for them for eight seasons, and I think we went to the playoffs every single year. Never made a Super Bowl with the Rams, but I played, I think, in three NFC Championship games, two against the Cowboys and one against the Minnesota Vikings, and always had a, those were our two stumbling blocks in those days. And um, and I had, in the offseason, I had gone back to uh, graduate school and got a master's in business, and it's a little different uh, now than it was then because uh, you really didn't have much in the way of leverage with ownership on negotiating things. And um, the only thing you could hold out on them is that you were going to retire. And I had a contract renewal time coming up, and I, I played my cards, and they called my bluff, and so I retired. But I only retired for the summer. And um, Tommy Prothro, who was a UCLA coach when um, when I was in college, and then ended up being the Rams coach and was my coach for two years, um, ended up going to San Diego. And he was the coach of the San Diego Chargers, and it turned out that they didn't have a tight end. And so at the end of the summer, after missing all of the training camp, I got a call from Coach Prothro, and he said, would you come to San Diego and play? Well, from where I live to San Diego, it's 135 miles, and... Uh, I had uh, I had three young kids, new house, um, my wife, and so forth. And I said, well, you know, I, I can probably do this. So believe it or not, in those days, I commuted 135 miles each way. Now, you know, I only had to do it for five or six months out of the season. But I went down there, and uh, Coach Prothor was only there really for uh, one year. And then 
we didn't have a great season, and so they brought in Don Coriel. And so I got to play with Eric Coriel and Dan Fouts and that whole group. So pretty much my whole career of 11 years uh, was on winning teams. And really the last three down there were fun for me because um, I got to catch more balls in three years than I did in the eight with the Rams. I think that's worth noting. A lot of people don't realize statistics are not always just about the player, but who the quarterback is. What 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 is yeah. the team doing? What's their offensive philosophy? Sure. And you know, now the tight end is an integral, very integral part of all the NFL offenses in college as well. And they will have two or three tight ends in a game. They're big guys. They are, a lot of them, you know, could be playing basketball, uh, but they're playing football and they use their bodies. They use their size. And, um, you know, there's just a lot more passes thrown than there were when I was playing. It was always, you know, with a pass, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. What, what can you do if you hand the ball off? So I was in an offense, you know, especially with a guy like OJ. I mean, you want to give him the ball anytime you can give it to him. And uh, so um, it's it's morphed into, I think, a, a much better, more interesting game now, uh, much more entertaining uh, in the NFL. Um, and I'll, aside from the, the injuries and some of the things that can befall you through that, um, it, I, I think it's really, uh, it's been, especially this last Super Bowl and so forth, has been, uh, for us in Los Angeles, has been a, a thrill for this season. Poor ending, but uh, a great season in general. Yeah. Now, okay, what are you doing today? Well, um, I am the executive director of the St. John's Health Center Foundation, which is a hospital in Santa Monica, California. And fortunately, we are a community hospital, but I'd like to say we're a community hospital on kind of on steroids because we have two um, very famous, well-known institutes associated with us. One is the John Wayne Cancer Institute that you're familiar with. And um, John Wayne um, uh, lived out here, went to SE, my school, and through his film career, and then towards the end of his life, he developed cancer. And there was a gentleman doctor over at uh, UCLA, Don Morton, uh, that was taking care of John towards the last couple of years of his life, kept him alive. And um, uh, Don decided to move the John Wayne Cancer Institute from UCLA over to St. John's, uh, really kind of almost overnight. And with that, he brought um, researchers and he, he brought clinical trials and different things that a community hospital typically didn't benefit from. So uh, since then, that was 30 years ago, we have... Um, We've been doing things uh, that really are remarkable, that are making a difference within the world of cancer. We have uh, we train cancer fellows, surgical cancer fellows, and to begin with, and now we have about 140 cancer fellows working around the world, a lot within the United States, and that all started here. And, and then uh, as an adjunct to that, uh, over the last few years, we've developed something called Pacific Neurosciences, um, which has to do with maladies of the brain, brain tumors, and so forth. And that has a big connection to John Wayne. So um, I, my job is raising money for those, those three buckets, for the hospital, John Wayne, and Pacific Neurosciences. And uh, I've been doing it now for 28 years. And uh, when I first started, um, I, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. I do now. Um, and the, and the, the reason I ended up in this job was that I was an active volunteer uh, of the hospital. And uh, the chairman of the board of the hospital uh, happened to be a gentleman by the name of Jim Hesburg. You may know the name Hesburg. Hesburg is the Notre Dame Hesburg, Father Ted Hesburg. Uh, Notre Dame was his brother. And um, he would come out. Uh, twice a year, and I developed a relationship with him because he would tease me about um, uh, passing up on that great opportunity of going to Notre Dame many years ago. <laughs> and uh, so um, one day, Father Hesburgh told Jim, his brother, he said, you know, you've got a guy, Bob Klein, uh, that you ought to get involved in fundraising for your, your hospital and so forth. And so they approached me and they said, uh, you know, uh, Father Hesburgh uh, had a guy at Notre Dame that had uh, some of your similar traits and background, and he didn't know what he was doing to start with it, but he really developed quickly, and he ended up being a great fundraiser for them. So they talked me into it, and that was a long time ago. And um, so here we are at St. John's and the John Wayne raising money and, and doing a great job. And um, I think um, really um, 
the the mission and the things that we work i mean it's a it's a blessing to be able to get up every day and raise money for this place because we're making a difference in people's lives really now if somebody wanted to learn more about the john wayne cancer institute st john's how would they do that well you just you just go right on the web and just just google john wayne cancer institute and uh, there's a website there that that can tell you just about anything that we do all the clinical trials we get people um, you know, from all over the world because there are certain things that we're doing here that nobody else are doing. We originally um, were known uh, specifically, most importantly, for melanoma cancer, but that's evolved into um, many different uh, cancers that we treat. And, uh, you know, even if, if uh, someone is uh, interested in learning more about cancer and um, the whole thing, the John Wayne Cancer Institute website is a remarkable resource. It really is. Now, if somebody's out there in the audience right now, they may say, well, you don't really need my small donation. I mean, but every dollar counts. Absolutely. Uh, every dollar. Has. I mean, we have, um, and, and frankly, because of the exposure that you've given us, you know, we get, uh, we get donations from the East Coast and the people uh, that are touched by cancer. Um, you know, and that, of course, it doesn't have to be just you, but of course, if you've been through this with anyone in your family, any loved one, uh, and you, especially if you've survived, you want others to be, uh, to be able to benefit from what they've learned, what they've been through and so forth. And so, um, we we just we we have more small friends certainly than we have large friends as far as contributors. So there's many different ways. If you go on our website, if you go on the John Wayne Cancer website, it's there's lots of ways that lead lead you to to donate. And uh, specifically, you can identify things that make that make sense to you or areas that you would like to support. Any last thoughts to our listeners? Um, uh, no, um, but I. Um, I, when we spent some time together a couple of weeks ago, I loved uh, meeting you and your wife, and because uh, I don't really have any um, good friends uh, living in Brooklyn or from Brooklyn, so now I do. And uh, uh, you're going to see me back there, and I hope you come see me again. Now you have a place to stay. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> would love that. <laughs> and we, and yeah. as soon as as soon as our house gets in order, we have a, more than one bedroom. You know, you could bring the whole family. <laughs> Well, th- thank you. I've got, I've just got grandkids now. All the kids have left us. Thank oh. God. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so okay. anyway, it's been great getting, great getting to know you guys. And we very much so, appreciate it. You were so gracious, so gracious. Well, and we you. appreciated it so much. Well, you know, you, I don't know if you checked the weather out here, but it's been raining since you left. So you, oh. you got the good spot. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. We're having an El Nino year, which, which means we get, uh, we get rain. We normally don't get so. Oh. Okay. Uh, but we but we need it because we're we're a semi-arid region. Well, listen, we appreciate everything you do, and it's just a a wonderful, wonderful group of people that we met. Well, thank you. It was great having you out here, and so any, you're welcome anytime. Thank you, Bob Klein. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. 
As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is former White House Director of Communications for President Trump, Anthony Scaramucci. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Hey, really, really great to be on, Mike. Thanks for having me. You had a book out a while back, Blue Collar President, and apparently now it's going to be released in paperback. What's the book about? What's the point of the book? Well, I mean, the number the number one thing behind the book, I mean, I, I, I tried to come up with a controversial title. So, uh, blue-collar president, basically, um, you know, the liberals went nuts. They basically think Trump's not blue-collar. And if you ever look at Trump's apartment on uh, on the Internet, it looks like Louis XIV smoked crystal meth and then, like, designed the apartment for him. So <laughs> so the, the liberals go crazy, right? They don't like it. But what I was trying to say in the book is that he captured, whether people like it or not, he captured the imagination of blue-collar people. He got 62.8 million voters in 2016 because he was able to go into areas that were being underserved by establishment politicians. And and by the way, these are areas that the Democratic Party had a very strong hold on. So they gave that up to him. And why why has the Democrats given up on the blue collar workers and why did Donald Trump appeal to them? Well, I think it's a combination of things. What I write in the book is that after about 35 years of a lack of advocacy, you could see the trend lines for these voters. They just stopped turning out at the polls. And so the Republicans focused on the uh, corporate interests of their donors, and they focused on things like taxes. And the Democrats focused on things like, you know, not choking a dolphin with a plastic straw and, uh, you know, transgender issues and things like that. And so Lo and behold, there's a very large group of people in the United States that feel left out of the globalization. Um, and if you look at their trend line, what I write in the book is that you have uh, wages have fa- and in real economic terms have actually gone down over the last uh, 35 years. And so you know, one of the things I write is, you know, my dad was a blue collar worker. He's an hourly worker. And uh, I, I, I tracked his wages, his 1975 wages in 2015 were down about 24 and a half, 25 percent. And so, you know, no fault of his own, he would not have been able to have given us the middle class lifestyle that we had in the 60s and 70s. And so you had a lot of disgruntled people. You, you literally had in a 35 year period of time, Mike, you had people going from the aspirational working class into the desperational working class. And so, you know, the president saw that. Um, and he went into those areas. And, you know, Secretary Clinton gave you a perfect example. Lots of blue-collar people, um, lots of unions in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, Secretary Clinton thought she owned that state, and so she did not um, – she didn't campaign there. She didn't go there once after the nomination. Uh, the president went there eight times. He won the state. She didn't. And, by the way, he only won the state by 10,000 votes. So it just goes to show you that uh, those people were anchored to – traditional uh, Democrats. But if you don't pay attention to them over time, they're going to they're going to walk. And they and they certainly did in 2016. Now, let me ask you, some people would say, hey, wait a minute, were you fired by Trump? Why are you su- still supporting him? Oh, yeah. No, I was absolutely fired by Trump. But I did something fireable. If you, if you want to go back back to that, I I unfortunately uh, trusted a reporter as an Italian kid from my neighborhood who called me, uh, uh, and I had a conversation with him. You can go back to the recording. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but I used a couple of curse words, and I said some inappropriate things that it embarrassed the president. So to me, uh, it was a fireable offense. Uh, him and John Kelly made the decision to fire me, and at the end of the day, I'm accountable for it. But I'm not going to lose my loyalty to the president or break from the president's political agenda because I, I made a mistake that was fireable. I don't, I don't see why that would make any sense. And so kept my relationship with the president. We still on good terms. We talk regularly. It's, uh, you know, um, and by the way, you know, I invited John Kelly to lunch, uh, uh, two weeks ago and he's going to be the keynote speaker at my conference. I don't, I don't have any grudges towards these guys. Um, if anything, um, you know, I think we're all on the same political agenda. We want to make the country better. So 
I don't, I don't, you know, I, I didn't take the firing too personally. I mean, it's politics. <laughs> it's not personal. It's, it's business. Okay. What are you doing today? What's Skybridge Capital? Well, I mean, you know, so I'm doing today what I was doing uh, before I entered politics. You know, I, I, I founded Skybridge Capital in 2005. It's a global uh, hedge fund asset management company. We've got about $11 billion under management. Uh, we started the firm uh, March 7th, uh, 2005, so we're celebrating our 14th anniversary shortly. And, uh, you know, we've got four offices, and I'm the managing partner and founder, and so I'm on the road marketing. And uh, we had a very good year last year. We were up 3.5% with the market down about 4 And so uh, uh, we're, and we're off to a good start this year. So, so uh, that's my traditional core business. And uh, that's basically what I've been working on. You're on a sports show once in a while, and I, I, I'm sorry I really haven't seen it. But what's that about? Well, I get invited on. Uh, I get invited on part of my take and some of the, uh, you know, some of the baseball blogs. I, I bought a small piece of the Mets in 2011 uh, with a group of investors, and so I've been a diehard baseball fan my whole life. And uh, I think I got on people's radar when the Mike Piazza jersey went up for sale and it was unclear if it was going to stay in New York or stay, you know, associated with the 9-11 museum. And so uh, with a couple of my friends, we bought that jersey and uh, we put it on, uh, you know, on display at the 9-11 museum. It's actually in the month of July, it goes to uh, uh, City Field for the Mets Museum, but for the other 11 months of the year, it's uh, it's over there. So I think that was like a... Uh, a, 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 an entree, if you will, into the into the whole sports thing. So, so, um, but listen, I mean, I love sports. I could talk about sports all day, and I'm a huge Mets fan. And sometimes, because I'm a team owner, I get I get in trouble because I'm, you know, I have to, you know, sort of keep my mouth shut about the the ownership, if you will. Okay, well, we won't go into the ownership, but how do you think? How do you how do you think things look for this year for the Mets? Well, I'm encouraged by I'm encouraged by a lot of the moves. I mean, I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's definitely trying. I mean, one of the problems though, uh, and I don't I don't know what it is. It could be City Field. It could be the way the players are conditioned. Um, but if you look at the last five six years of Met starting lineups, uh, you know they lose between thirty and forty percent of their they're starters. Uh, you know, by the middle of the year, they're injured. They're on the injured reserve. They're they're out for 25 to 50 days, and so they never finish the season with the starting players that they came into the season. Now I get that there are injuries across the industry of baseball, but the Mets get a, uh, I think, a greater than their fair share of those injuries. So. Um, I don't know what it is. It could be City Field. It could be the way they're trained. It could just be bad luck. But if you look at the guys that they've hired um, and you look at them on paper, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to be at the top of the pack this year unless they get injured. Speaking about the Mets, do you think Tim Tebow has a chance to play in the majors this year? Well, I'm only, only going by what I'm reading in the paper. I haven't really talked to any, any of the executives at the team. Um, I, I, I think he's probably uh, a step or two behind major league hitting. I mean, listen, he's an incredible athlete. He has the physical strength and obviously the arm strength and the speed and, and so forth. But, you know, as Michael Jordan learned, hitting major league pitching, arguably the hardest thing uh, in athletic sports to do, you know, is a timing issue. And it seems like he's slightly behind on his timing relative to major league baseball players. But, you know, if he can correct that, um, I don't see any reason why he couldn't be uh, in the major leagues, um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens here in spring training. All right, well, let's go back in time. What's the first baseball game you remember? I, I ask a lot of my older clients that. You know, they, sometimes they tell me they saw mm-hmm. Babe Ruth play in 1933 or something. But what's your first mm-hmm. game? Yeah, well, how are they? I don't know they, they'd have to be born. You know, wow. I mean, they got to be almost 100 years old if they saw him playing 1933. Well, so I, my, my I'll give you a name of one guy who did. His name is Ed Bars. He's 95 years of age, and he was at the All Star game All right. in 1933. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Him, I believe. Um, yeah. Well, here's what I would say. I, I, my, my dad was in the union, um, and uh, one of the owners of these construction companies gave him four box seats. And uh, if you remember this back in the 60s, so this was in 1969, the year they won the, uh, uh, the World Series. I was five years old, and my, my dad took me and my brother um, and my mom uh, to – 
They were field level seats. They were right by third base. And if you remember old Shea Stadium, before they started changing the colors, this was yellow painted seats. And so they were the, uh, they were the field level. And I, I remember going, you know, the Mets played the Braves. Uh, the Mets lost that game. So I'd have to go to a baseball home and I can look it up. But, but uh, I, I, that was a very exciting. Um, and but probably the most excited I've ever been at a baseball game was uh, game four of the 1973 World Series. How my dad managed that, I don't know. But we were in the upper deck. And we were freezing that night, but the Mets beat the Oakland A's um, game four of the 73 World Series. So those are the two super exciting, burnt permanently into my brain, uh, baseball experiences. Was your father a, a Dodger fan, a Giant fan? or? So my dad grew up in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. So, so he, got, he got here just as the Dodgers were leaving. I think the Giants were, were leaving as well. So this was like the 57, 58 time zone. Um, and so he, he had graduated from high school in 53. He was in the Army until 55, but then lived in Louisiana and then got, got to New York like by 1957. So my Uncle John, uh, who was older than my dad, was a diehard Mets fan. Um, and so that's how uh, the family picked up the Mets uh, fan base. And, you know, we always, we have a, we have another side of the family that are Yankee fans, of course, and so we're super envious of all their championships. Yeah, but I mean, I think I had more fun in '69 and '86. You could take all those championships, put them together, and, and I had more enjoyment in '69 and '86 in combination. Okay, so now you sound like me. Okay, <laughs> and so that 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 is really good cognitive dissonance. Okay. Uh, but but let's be honest with each other. If the Mets had won 27 World Championships, or let's say they're half as old as the Yankees, so let's say they they won 13 or 14 World Series, I think we'd be happy campers. If you don't believe me, ask the the current Red Sox fans. After suffering an 86 or 87 year drought, uh, they seem pretty happy these days. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. Let's get back to politics. <laughs> What, yep. What's going to happen in 2020? Well, I mean, obviously, the, there's a lot of moving pieces, but I don't see anybody on the horizon right now that's going to beat Donald Trump. And I, I, I don't anybody any of these announced candidates. I don't see how any of them can beat the president. I mean, he's unfortunately for them, he is a unique beast. And remember, anybody that goes after him is going to have an internationally recognized nickname for the rest of their lives. I mean, he's going to cut most of these people up. So if Joe Biden gets in the race, I think Joe, uh, Vice President Biden, I think he's a formidable competitor. And I think if, uh, you know, if you get a, if you get a situation, and I don't think this is likely, but someone like a Mayor Bloomberg, if they could get the Democratic nomination, they would be a competitor. But I think the mayor knows it'll be very hard for him to win that. So I don't even think the mayor will run. Uh, what I find about Howard Schultz, he's already signaling what I predicted three weeks ago. I said that he he wouldn't run. Um, in fact, he's just really trying to pull his party uh, closer, if you will, you know, pull, pull his party uh, uh, further away from the left, closer to the center. And so so we'll have to see what happens. But right now, in a strong economy, uh, with the president's campaigning skills, uh, he's going to be very hard to beat. And then the, the, you have to also remember, he started fundraising for the presidency in, uh, uh, I think it was the day after he was inaugurated. So the combination of those things is going to make it really hard. But we'll see. Anything can happen. Right. Anything can happen. Do you think a moderate could win the Democratic nomination? It certainly doesn't seem that way. I mean, if they were smart, if they were putting aside all of this nonsense and the Green Deal and I mean, some of the bizarre things that they're saying, and they could just say, okay, we've got to go after uh, moderate Americans in the middle. You know, you know, the country's probably split 40-40 or 45-45, and then there's a, there's a group of 10% that's sort of in the middle that everybody's fighting for. I don't see how they think they can win by lurching super, to, super, super far to the left. I, I just don't see it. But, you know, listen – you know, I've been wrong about a lot of things in my life. So, um, you know, I think anything can happen. But if they get one of these super lefties in there, um, that'll be a disaster for the United States. And frankly, it'll be a disaster for the world. I mean, you can't, after 150 years of failed socialism, 
and failed communism, I don't understand why we're moving in that direction again. People even thinking about that as a good idea. It's just very, very misinformed. Now, you, you talked about the economy. A lot of people seem to think that uh, full employment and a good economy is almost by accident. Trump has nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, what, what happens in politics is that uh, situational things get, get personalized. So, so let, me, let me give those people their due. Let's say that they're 100 percent correct in that Trump has absolutely nothing to do with it. I mean, I would argue that he does, but let's say that he doesn't. It doesn't matter uh, because what happens is if, he, if he's doing well, uh, the economy's doing well, it'll get personalized to him. If it's not doing well, it'll also get personalized to him in the other direction. So, so either way is a, uh, you know, it, it either benefits or cuts the president. So um, people can say, you know, it, it just doesn't matter. I mean, unfortunately, uh, people that are voting in these things are probably not as analytical as the top three or four percent of the people that are analyzing it every day. The name of the book we're going to look for, paperback edition, Trump, the Blue Collar President. The author, our guest on Connor's Corner, Anthony Scaramucci. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Hey, real pleasure to be on. Thank you again to Anthony Scaramucci. Beth, how do you feel the, the Mets are going to do this year? I have the same opinion this year that I have every year. Okay, let's Let's see how these guys are going to do, and let's hope nobody gets sick. Let's hope nobody breaks a leg or something wrong with their arm. And I have high hopes at the beginning of every season. That's what I'm going to say. Next week, Phil Robertson. (laughs) Where is Phil Robertson from? Vivian. Vivian, Louisiana. Okay, now that's the the founder of the Duck Dynasty. That's the old right. Man. And he's the little... guy that Terry Bradshaw subbed for because Terry wasn't as good as Phil. And Phil's a little outspoken, you know. Phil's great. He nails it. If, he knows you, if, you, exactly if you're one of those people, up. you know, lukewarm Christians or whatever, oh. I don't think Phil's the guy for you. So no. um, he's controversial, and I think it's good to be controversial because you know. He's he he grew up ten. He lives ten miles from where I, I I lived when I was a little girl, Grayson, Louisiana. I don't know. It seemed to me to drive from Monroe to Grayson was more than ten miles, but maybe I'm wrong. No, he's not in Monroe. No, where no, no. He? he said he's living in Vivian now. He's living that's, in Vivian. Um, okay. Yeah, that's just a little bit north of of Grayson. I don't think there's a road that goes straight from Grayson to Vivian though. You got to go all, all around the beautiful farmland, cotton country. Okay, next week, same times, places, David Kincaid on hollowed ground. And remember, we are on hollowed ground here. We're right next to Trinity Church. Bye-bye, everybody. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered. We here. are gathered here on hallowed ground. The voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC.